Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of Commercial Real Estate Views with Mayop Pittsburgh's Developing Leaders podcast. This year's Developing Leader, or DL, annual sponsor is RIDC. The DL Hard Hat sponsor is Falkbilt, and the mentorship sponsor is Desmone Architects. Through these sponsorships, we're able to put on this podcast series. I am Clayton Morris, the 2020 NAOP Pittsburgh Developing Leader Chair and Asset Manager at Samson Morris Group. In this episode, I interview Tony Rossi, the first Vice President with CBRE Depth and Structured Finance. We will try and scrape the surface of Tony's deep understanding and broad experiences with real estate financing. But first, some NAOP announcements. This Monday at 6 p.m., we'll be hosting the weekly NAOP DL Zoom Happy Hour. If you are a DL, the link is in your calendar invite but also feel free to reach out to me for more information. This Wednesday the 13th, we'll be hosting a roundtable discussion on the topic of early lessons from contractors about navigating post-stay-at-home work. And then the 19th, we have a joint chapter meeting with the Philadelphia chapter. More information on all these NAOP events can be found on the NAOP Pittsburgh website. I hope that sooner rather than later, I will be able to see everyone at in-person events as Pennsylvania opens back up for business. Even though there is some sort of light visible at the end of this COVID tunnel, it is still important to be patient, cautious, and deliberate. I learned of the relevant concept of exit fever when I started backpacking, ice climbing, and other technical sports. The concept of exit fever is that at the end of the journey, the bottom of the ice wall, or the last ski run, there is an increased chance of error or injury because the thrill is wearing off, complacency is setting in, and it is easy to become distracted or blinded by the next steps or the cleanup phase. Because of this, it is important to slow down as the journey winds down and make sure the last steps we take are deliberate as to avoid the trap of exit fever. I avoid this trap not only when I ski or kite surf by always making sure my last run or set is simple and in control, but also when I'm working on deals where I try to make sure up to the very end that everything is being double checked as to prevent the problem popping up last minute. We as an industry and us as Pittsburghers need to make sure that now more than ever, we do not get exit fever as we near the opening up of our lives again. We need to take it slow and look out for pitfalls as our actions in the coming weeks are critical to our health and success. All that being said, let's get started with the interview of Tony Rossi. Tony, can you walk us through your role in the commercial real estate business? Sure. I've been a member of CBRE Capital Markets team since 2011. Our team is bifurcated into two groups, the investment sales team, which is responsible for the marketing and sale of commercial real estate assets, and the debt and structured finance team that I'm a member of, which is responsible for the identification of capital for clients on commercial real estate deals. Our clients range from individual investors to regional development companies, private family offices, and private and public real estate investment trusts. CBRE is the largest commercial real estate services provider in the world, and as such, our capital markets team has access to a wide variety of capital, ranging from agency finance sources for multifamily real estate to life insurance companies with allocations for home mortgages, as well as a variety of commercial and investment banks, CMBS, debt fund, and other private capital solutions. Our team often gets involved at various different points in the life cycle of an investment, beginning with the acquisition and development financing for new projects, bridge loans for transitional projects, and permanent capital for stabilized assets post-development or upon acquisition. What's your underwriting process like when you are evaluating a project for financing? You know, Clayton, I always tell people the fundamental math associated with commercial real estate is fairly simple. It's the nuance and application that's the secret sauce. 
There's several ways in which we can determine the value of a commercial real estate asset and consequently what the structure of the capital stack will look like from a debt and equity perspective. For existing assets, we start by evaluating the historical operating results of the property and then evaluating the current tenancy to determine if the history can be expected to continue on in a stable pattern or if it will improve or deteriorate based on new information that didn't exist during the historical operating periods. The fundamental formula is operating income less operating expenses equals net operating income. Now, obviously, there's a variety of line items that make up the income and expense assumptions, and we could do a whole other podcast breaking down how to build a pro forma. But suffice it to say that these items are all of the stuff, and I use air quotes, stuff that make a real estate project tick. Rental reimbursement income, utility expenses, real estate taxes, insurance, etc. Once you can identify the likely underwritten net operating income for a commercial real estate asset, you've completed the first major step in being able to identify its value. Which brings us to capitalization rates, or as they are commonly referred to in the biz, cap rates. The income approach to value for commercial real estate is a simple formula. NOI divided by cap rate equals value. So the next question is, how do you know what the right cap rate is for a deal? Basic economic theory tells us the best indicator of an asset's value is what a willing buyer will pay a willing seller in an open and efficient market. So like with any other asset class, as real estate professionals, we look at the market to determine what other similar assets have sold for and aggregate a set of comparable data to identify plausible cap rates. In order to aggregate this data, we rely on other transactions we have worked on and a network of colleagues, appraisers, and other professionals to help form our opinions. There's also a variety of subscription services available where we can gather data like Real Capital Analytics, CoStar, Crexy, and others. Tony, so basically, the higher the cap rate, the lower the property value, and the lower the cap rate, the higher the property value in relationship to the NOI. Do you have any example cap rates for different asset classes that you could tell us? Sure, Clayton. There's a lot of factors that go into determining a cap rate for any specific asset including location, tenancy, credit, rate, average remaining lease term. Um, But generally speaking, some ranges for cap rates in in Pittsburgh over the last couple of years would be multifamilies somewhere in the neighborhood of 4.75 to 5.75 for a Class A property. Um, Class A CBD office property is probably going to be in the neighborhood of 6.5 to 7.5% cap rate. Um, Industrial properties probably in the 6 to 7% cap rate range for class A product and retail probably in the 6 and 3 quarters to 7 and 3 quarters range for class A property over the last several years. What about deals without historical operating expenses like roundup developments or redevelopments of underutilized buildings? The process is fairly similar to underwriting a stabilized asset in the sense that we work to develop the likely NOI for the property and the correct cap rate to determine the ultimate value. Where the nuance comes in is in identifying the operating income and expenses for a project that's still on the concept stage. Again, in order to do this, we look to comparable properties in the market and extrapolate rents and expense numbers from properties that are most similar to the development. This brings up the second two approaches to valuing commercial real estate, the sales comparison approach and the cost approach. We briefly touched on the sales comparison approach when we were discussing cap rates, and the name sort of says it all. 
You conduct a survey of the market for assets of similar property type, vintage, quality, location, and evaluate the sales price from a cap rate and price per square foot perspective. And then you make adjustments based on similarities to the subject property. The cost approach or the replacement cost approach is generally least relevant because the replacement cost of the building doesn't necessarily correlate well to the economic potential of the building. This is particularly true in a city like Pittsburgh where there's a significant inventory of buildings that date back decades and even to the early 1900s. A great example would be the Union Trust Building where NAOP held a developer tour a few years ago. That project was a redevelopment of an office building developed around 1915 by Henry Clay Frick. It's an extremely beautiful building, the likes of which will almost never certainly be built again because of the costs associated with the building materials and the labor to construct such a building. What characteristics of a commercial real estate deal most impact cap rate? Location, location, location. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I was just stealing your answer from the first podcast. Um, actually, uh, I would say the three biggies are credit, rate, and term. The underlying credit of a tenant might refer to its actual public credit rating uh, in the case of a large publicly traded company, but more often than not, um, when we're talking about credit, we're referring to the real estate developer and their bankers forming an opinion about the credit worthiness of a company um, based on that company's credit uh, history, operating history, and balance sheet. Rate um, simply means the lease rate that the tenant's paying and a determination as to whether or not that rate is at, above, or below market and what rate could theoretically be achieved if a particular tenant were to leave. Uh, and term is simply the remaining amount of time left on the lease. You mentioned a few different capital sources earlier. Can you walk us through when each of those capital sources you mentioned might benefit a commercial real estate owner or developer. Sure. So with agency finance solutions like Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, and FHA and HUD, uh, these programs have some level of government credit enhancement to provide liquidity for multifamily housing communities. These programs provide capital for owners of multifamily housing in order to ensure there will always be safe and affordable housing options in our country. As a result of the federal credit enhancement, these loans are typically priced very attractively and often provide the best execution for multifamily borrowers who are seeking a non-recourse loan. Many life insurance companies have allocations for home mortgage loans in their portfolios as well. Typically, life insurance companies look for low-risk assets at lower leverage points than other market participants, but can offer long-term fixed-rate options at very attractive interest rates. We often work with commercial banks when clients are seeking construction loans and loans on transitional assets where there's construction and business plan implementation risk. Some banks also have attractive longer term options available, utilizing products such as interest rate swaps to lock in rates over the long term for the borrower. CMBS loans. Tony, what does CMBS mean? Uh, CMBS stands for Commercial Mortgage Backed Security. Thank you. So CMBS loans provided through investment banks and bespoke investment firms are loans that are pulled and then sold as a series of securities into the secondary bond market. These loans can have onerous servicing requirements and provide little ability to negotiate with lenders post-closing, uh, but they do have a place for borrowers who are looking to maximize leverage on an asset with a fairly predictable revenue stream over a 10-year period. 
Debt funds provide bridge financing for transitional assets. Although the cost of capital is typically higher than with a commercial bank, uh, the loans often require no personal recourse, which is an important attribute for some borrowers. How has your business been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic and the associated shelter-in-place and work-from-home environment? First of all, I'd like to say that my thoughts and prayers go out to everyone impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. At this point, we all know someone who's been impacted by this very serious situation, either from a health perspective or a loss of employment or a negative business impact. Uh, we have many friends and colleagues in the restaurant and hospitality space whose businesses are going to be changed forever. And the implications on the real estate and development business will affect the lives of many people. I'm hopeful, however, that as an industry, we will find ways to work together and to persevere so that we can return to work safely as soon as the time is right. In terms of the lending environment, um, we actually had a chapter meeting about the impact of COVID-19 last month, and I was asked to be on the panel to speak about the capital markets. And you did a great job with that, Tony. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I gave my thoughts on the capital markets then, but I will reiterate quickly for the podcast. So um, I'll go in order of best to worst. I would say that the strongest source of capital in the market right now is the agency finance sources, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, and HUD, um, because of the reasons outlined before and their um, desire to make sure that there's liquidity for the housing market in the United States. Those programs are all still actively underwriting deals and lending uh, lending money to developers. Commercial banks um, are still also actively participating in the market. I would say that volume is down uh, and processing times for loans is longer than usual. Particularly, there's been a drag in the last, let's call it three weeks, um, because of lenders processing the paycheck protection loans. Um, but those lenders are still selectively doing deals in the market. Um, life insurance companies retreated to the sidelines pretty quickly, but there are still some life insurance companies uh, who have liquidity for commercial real estate deals. I would say they're focused on lower leverage deals, even lower than before, um, and being very selective on collateral. The CMBS market was effectively shut down for about six weeks. Um, we're starting to hear some rumblings of some of the large money center banks getting back into the CMBS business. But we don't anticipate any new CMBS loans closing probably until the beginning of the third quarter. Uh, and the terms on those deals have been impaired fairly significantly from where they were six months ago. The other area that we've been getting a lot of phone calls on from our clients in recent weeks is in regard to servicing issues on loans. Obviously, some commercial real estate assets have faced some level of an impairment. Um, as a result of non-payment of rent by tenants or even the potential that non-payment could occur in the coming months. Um, that's impacted virtually all sectors, including office, industrial, retail, multifamily, um, and hospitality. So, you know, our answer to them is each capital source is dealing with uh, these situations differently. The best thing that you can do is communicate directly with your lender um, document everything in writing and make sure that you keep the lines of communication wide open. That way your lender can do the best job to evaluate your current situation and you have the best opportunity um, to get success in some level of forbearance or relief as a result of this pandemic.
Hey, Clayton, thanks for the opportunity to jump on the Mic Drop podcast. I particularly appreciate you uh, coming to my home and socially distancing with me so that we, we can record it together in person. I always enjoy hanging out with you. Tony, it was great recording with you. Great seeing you. Hopefully we can see each other uh, shortly with the rest of NAOP. Absolutely. Thanks again. You. Tony, thanks again for taking the time to participate in our podcast. The next episode, dropping in two weeks, will focus on Ashley Koltonsky, the Director of Communications at Cushman and Wakefield Grant Street Associates. This podcast is available on most podcasting services, so make sure to subscribe to get notifications when we release a new episode. Thank you for listening. Clayton Morris. Thank <laughs> you.